What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Harlem by Langston Hughes. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. And I promise that that poem that I read at the opener there does make sense for this. Do I need to go get my screaming pillow? No. I think you're good. Okay. I think you're good. I'm going to hold you to that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And toes. Yes. And eyes. (laughs) I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as what we dealt with with Native Son, so you're good. Does that mean I can uncross my eyes now? Yes. All right. (laughs) So uh, the poem that I read at the top is where the name for today's show comes from. Today we're going to be covering A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. Or as Kay calls it, A Chocolate Chip Lie. Yeah, we're not going to get into my views on (laughs) raisins because this is supposed to be an all-ages episode of the show. (laughs) I don't like raisins. It's okay, I'll eat your share of raisins. Thank you. Just, you know, that, that, okay, okay, no, I can say this, I can say this. I am okay with raisins existing. I am okay with people eating raisins. I am not okay with being handed a cookie that looks like a chocolate chip cookie, but there are raisins in it. That is not okay. And I have trust issues yeah. partially from that. I mean, that's that's fair. I was just one of those kids that uh, if I bit, if I was like, oh, chocolate chip cookie and bit into it, I was like, oh, raisin instead. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, and I bit into it and went, what is this nightmare? What did... You lied to me. You lied. <laughs> it's just one of those spots that I like. I like poking because it makes me makes me laugh. Ah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, A Raisin in the Sun is another play that everyone except for Warren thinks of when they think of black theater. <laughs> because this play is the first Broadway play that was written by a black woman and directed by, by a black man. Cool. But Kay, I hear you ask, why didn't you start with this one? Because you needed context before we got to this one. Con. Text. 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 (laughs) I love you. (laughs) So this was, in a way, written in response to shows that we have seen before, because... Lorraine Hansberry saw all of these musicals and plays that were all black shows like Cabin in the Sky, Green Pastures. She even was seeing stuff with In Dahomey, Shuffle Along, Trip to Coontown, going, this is relying so heavily on stereotypes that white folks put on black people and she thinks to herself, this won't do. So she writes her own play. Excellent. I'm going to quote Black Theater USA, uh, which is where I got a lot of the information on her from, as well as uh, 
searching, you know, articles about her and stuff. Um, so her intent was to write a social drama about believable characters who happened to be black rather than a Negro play. And this would be her first play and is the one that everyone knows her for. So Lorraine Hansberry pulled from her own past to write this play. She was born in Chicago on May 19, 1930 to Carl Augustus and Nanny Louise Hansberry. Carl was a successful real estate broker and an activist. And when Lorraine was eight, he moves the family to an all-white neighborhood. Oof. Yep. This Oof. so she would it would nineteen thirty eight is when that happened because she was born nineteen thirty mm-hmm. you said yeah oof mm-hmm mm-hmm Are you, last chance do I need to get my screaming pillow um do they have a lot of terrible things happen to them she so a brick does get thrown through their window and narrowly injures her Ugh. but she she is okay um and that. The tension and everything uh, pays to or pays paves the way for a ruling that racially restrictive housing con- covenants were unconstitutional. Good, which leads to the Fair Housing Act. Excellent, fantastic. So you know this is this is some of the importance of this person and the stuff that's going to happen in this play is stuff that she drew from her own experience to write it. And so whenever I see things that talk about uh, housing inequity and such, and folks saying that it's not as big of a deal because there are laws for it, uh, no, it is. Um, It still happens. Yeah. It it (laughs) still very much happens. It absolutely still happens. (laughs) It's why Mama Kay said that you and Mama Kay will go look at houses. I will not. <laughs> or if I come with, I do not get to go with as your wife. I get to go with as the friend. This is my black friend. Yes. <laughs> um, but on on this exact experience, she's quoted in her book to be young, gifted, and black. 25 years ago, my father spent a small personal fortune, his considerable talents, and many years of his life fighting in association with the NAACP attorneys, Chicago's restrictive covenants in one of this nation's ugliest ghettos. That fight also required our family to occupy disputed property in this hellishly hostile white neighborhood in which literally howling mobs surrounded our house. My memories of this correct way of fighting white supremacy in America include being spat at, cursed, and pummeled in the daily trek to and from school. And I also remember my desperate and courageous mother patrolling our household all night with a loaded German Luger pistol, dodging or doggedly guarding her four children while my father fought the respectable part of the battle in the Washington court. This lays the groundwork for the plot point of A Raisin in the Sun as we follow the younger family and a financial decision that will change their lives forever. But I'm not going to spoil you completely on that. I will just say that the ending of this is nowhere near as much of a downer as Native Son. (laughs) (laughs) I love that caveat because you're like, it's still going to be a downer. Well, it's, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. It's realistic. So somebody dies, but something good happens as a result of it. 
well, somebody dies at the very start that leads to this whole thing, but it's more of the realization that characters are going to have that, yes, they're going towards a brighter future, but it's uncertain because when you move in, if when you're a black family in the 30s moving to an all-white neighborhood, it's going to be very tense and you can't be certain how it's going to go when you get there. So, a little bit about Lorraine Hansberry. Uh, like I said, her father was an activist, and so through her father, she's meeting folks like W.B. Du Bois, Langston Hughes, uh, Paul Robeson, Jesse Owens, uh, all sorts of highly influential black folks. Uh, her father's a supporter of the NAACP, the Urban League, the Chicago Republican Party, because this is the 30s and 40s, so different times. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> and her father, unfortunately, dies from a brain hemorrhage when Lorraine is 14. Oh. Because he was he was stressed. He was... Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he is, yes. yes. Yes, he was very stressed. He... he and... This also, unfortunately, is going to lead to how Lorraine dies, too, due to stress, because her father's an activist. Of course, she's going to become an activist as keep well. Dad's fight. Yeah, and uh, there will be some more things that we'll get into with Lorraine that she had to deal with on top of being a black woman. Um, but her father's trying to move the family to Mexico because he is just done. And as we talked about last year, that was often the case that black people who were fighting, fighting, fighting found that they would have to move to Mexico and or maybe Canada. But Mexico was a little bit better because America was just so bad mm -hmm. and so racist. And Lorraine's actually quoted as saying American racism helped kill him about her dad. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely yeah, and it's because racism isn't just calling someone the N-word. Mm -hmm. It isn't just separate drinking fountains. It isn't even just lynching. It's redlining. It's keeping people from having the same opportunities base based on just the color of a person's skin. It's about ma not making sure that there's adequate health care, adequate drinking water, adequate housing. It's, it's all of that. It's having the neighborhoods that are mostly black families in areas where the pollution is so bad you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. It's all of that. And so that's that's where racism still is leading to us having shorter lives, even, even when the life expectancy is higher on average for everybody else. <sighs> so it's stuff that's all still going on and we still need to reconcile with and fix in this country. So back to Lorraine. She graduates high school, goes to University of Wisconsin in Madison, and lives in an integrated dorm in Wisconsin. That surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> that surprised me so much. She joins the Communist Party. <laughs> um, she is... According to one of her classmates, Bob Teague, who was a football player, 
Uh, she's the only girl I knew who could whip together a fresh picket sign with her own hands at a moment's notice for any cause or occasion. That's fantastic. She she was an activist. She was ready to go yes. at a moment's notice yes. for whatever the just cause. <laughs> yes, I, I love her. I love her so much. I would love to do just an episode about her, but since we are theater focused i tried to focus more on the theater because she does a lot she does so much activism i would love to hear either one mike or black history buff or both of them do an episode about lorraine hansberry because holy smokes she is amazing so she marries uh, producer, activist, and songwriter robert nemroff who is a white jewish man in 1953 which surprised me again because i'm like loving hasn't happened yet yeah but i I wonder if the same kind of thing because of the way that anti-semitism is Mm -hmm. is a thing they were probably like well it's a jew and a black together so it doesn't affect us white christians yeah thing and and he's an activist too um oh yeah oh yeah you i mean i feel like you have to be like if you're marrying a person of a different color before the civil rights act even well even after i feel like yeah yeah you still everybody should care that all humans are treated with a base level of decency and respect and right to live Mm -hmm. agreed and uh a fun fact about these two on their wedding night they protested the execution of ethel and julius rosenberg so that's how they spent their wedding night was it another protest that's that is how into activism these two are um so uh Nimroff gets success with the song in 1956 called Cindy O Cindy. He co-wrote it. And that leads to Lorraine being able to focus on writing full time, which is uh, a real... I think that this is what leads to what I'm about to tell next actually succeeding. Because she marries Nimroff with the knowledge that she is a lesbian. Oh. And couldn't come out because she is a black woman in the 50s. Oh, compounded issues there. Yes. So even though their marriage ends in divorce eventually because she's a lesbian, she is unhappy. Yeah. She she probably does love him, mm -hmm. but... As a friend. Yeah. She (laughs) she can't be there for him in, in the way that he... Yeah, and he seems to understand that because they remain close friends, and when she dies, Nimroth makes sure that her unpublished works are produced and published, and and we'll talk a little bit about that, too, because, yeah, Uh, and Lorraine only dies, or dies only six years after Raisin is done. Holy crap. Yes, and we'll get into that, too, in a moment. Um, so, so really, like, just the, the stress of her life. I mean, because it, 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 it pancreatic has been, cancer. It has been medically proven that mm-hmm. high stress will reduce your life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So that, yep. it's why some groups in this country have a lower life expectancy because there's so many compounded issues. Mm-hmm. And you have stress from discrimination and, pros- and uh, uh, prosecution on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I want to go back in time and give her a hug and go, I'm sorry. It'll get a little bit better. Okay. Not 100% better, but a little bit. That's that's what you want to go back in time and 
Just, oh, man. But so her first play is Raisin in the Sun, and it was written in 1957 and then opens at the Ethel Barrymore Theater on March 11th, 1959, being directed by Lloyd Richards. So first black director and black playwright together on Broadway. And this is not an all-black cast because there is one white actor in this show because for what the story's about, he is necessary. But most notably, Warren, you get to see the original Broadway cast. Ooh! Because this isn't a recording of the stage play because if that exists, it's locked up in an archive somewhere. (laughs) We are watching the 1961 film, which is also written by Hansberry and has the return of the original cast. Fantastic. You've got Sidney Poitier, you've got Ruby Dee, you've got Louis Gossett, uh, you've got Glenn Turman, just... This show is amazing. Um, I did monologues from this show back when I was auditioning for stuff. That's how much I liked it growing up. Even if critics were mixed in the previews leading to Lorraine basically being like, well, at least I'm on Broadway if this closes in a night. Um, (laughs) Audiences. Silver lining. Yeah. (laughs) Audiences see it. And it's like, it, it, opens some eyes of white theater goers to what is going on for black people, but also it brings black audiences in that wouldn't have gone to see a Broadway play at, at this time. Like it, it's, it, it's sort of a question of that they pose a lot in talking about this of, is it universal or is it uniquely black? Hmm. because it's it's something that stretched across both audiences without being a uh, without being like green pastures or cabin in the sky it's not it's not like either of those this is something new and different for this time especially that's cool that it was able to touch so many yeah. different types of people. I, I, I'm i very curious to see what I think of it and how mm-hmm. it resonates with me. Because mm-hmm. I will probably have opinions because oh, yeah. I have opinions on everything. <laughs> so this is nominated for Best Play, Actor, Actress, and Director in the 1960-20s. Didn't win, but it's amazing <laughs> it got nominated and was popular enough to tour and go on West End and all this stuff. In the ni- uh, Sorry, I think I heard you say 1960-20s? Tonys, sorry. Tonys, okay. I may have said 20s. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm flustered because I, I love this show. But, so she's getting all this popularity from Raisin, but she is lonely because lesbian in the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like I said, I'm trying not to focus on, uh, Lorraine outside of theater because there is so much, but this does go into her writings a little bit, uh, her experience as a black lesbian in the fifties and in the sixties. Uh, there isn't evidence that she was a actual gay rights activist, but she did write to lesbian magazines and started coming out more towards the end of her life and had women as lovers. And it may have been because attitudes were very, very, very slowly changing in the 60s. Um, I kind of wonder 
what would have happened had she not died in 1965 from pancreatic cancer. Oh, 65. At 34. Yeah, I was. She had. She had a tragically short life. Yeah, I. I wonder what would have happened if she would have lived on. She probably would have been an icon. Yeah, like, huh? It's such a big what if. Yeah. That I I think about and I'm just like, huh, huh, a lot of stuff to sit with. Um, it was a year after her second and last produced play during her lifetime uh, was produced on Broadway. It was called The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window uh, that took place in Greenwich Village in the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived in. Um, but she dies the night the show closes. Oh, oh, oh that hurts. Mm -hmm. And if I can find it, I would love to cover that play. I would also love to cover the posthumously produced plays that Nimroff had either edited or touched up, or in uh, the case of To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, uh, he had basically taken a bunch of writings and put them together to be a play, because he's just like, look at the stuff that Lorraine did, look at this enjoy this um i don't i'd like to also cover les blanc which is a response play to uh les negres uh or i would really love to see the arrival of mr two dog which is her parody of waiting for godot monsieur two dog so I would I would love to see that because you know me and waiting for Godot. Hey, so. af after watching Guys on Ice, I I will yeah. eat, I will eat up every bit of waiting for Godot that you will put in front of me. <laughs> oh, and uh, to the audience, yes, I know that there was a musical version of Raisin in the Sun called Raisin, but I can't find it. So if y'all can find it, please send it my way. Uh, Tonedeafmusical at gmail dot com. Oh, so. <laughs> This this is not a musical, it's just a No, this is movie. a straight play. Okay. But there is a musical adaptation from 1973, and I, I cannot find it. But if anyone who can supply Raisin the Musical, or Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, or Shuffle Along will get my eternal loyalty, and I will appear when you need me the most. <laughs> Much like that spider I spared a few years ago. You just... It, it works a lot like Bloody Mary, but instead Kay shows up and is like, what you need? Yep. What you need? Who oh, I need a hit. <laughs> oh, oh, you just want me to give you dinosaur facts? Okay. All right. All right. You sure you don't need me to hit someone? All right. All right. I mean, this is your one. Unless you gave me all three shows, in which case you get three. <laughs> anyway, that is my presentation on Raisin in the Sun. Do you have any questions before we go watch? Oh, I just, I just feel really bad for her. Mm-hmm. And just, ugh. She was a powerhouse. She was amazing. Wish I had a time machine. I still do just like 34 years old. Mm -hmm. Just, ugh. 
Huh. Mm-hmm. But yes. Okay. Okay. Let's let's go do this. Let's go do this, Warren. Let's go see Raisin in the Sun. Woo! Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our Patreon sponsors? It is! Woo! We would like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Reagan and Jasmine Wu. And our producer circle sponsors, Jesse, Bianucci, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Today, we have a special message from one of our producer circle patrons, Jesse. Jesse would like to remind you to support your local theaters during this time. All of the small times arts facilities are struggling so hard right now during this pandemic. If you are able to donate to a local theater to help them stay open during the pandemic, please do. There are many resources for helping out the arts community at this time, such as the Be an Arts Hero campaign, Arts Leaders of Color Emergency Fund, the Actors Fund, and the Artist Relief Tree. Be sure to look up local theaters in your area and find out how you can help keep them alive during the pandemic. My name is Yanni Smith, and I am the writer of The Courtship of Mona May, and I am so excited to bring this story to you. Set in the 1870s, Mona May Kristoff and Ezekiel Montgomery take a journey across the American West to search for Mona's mother. If you have come once again regarding the man of Clara Brown... That is precisely why I'm Then my inclination, as I have told you, is not to pursue... Ah, uh, but Mona, I believe this woman is your mother. I am the one who has to believe it, not you. Her comfortable home and horse-breaking business is abruptly disturbed. Horse theft is a crime punishable by him. I did not steal that horse. And they fight back. I have served in the 9th Cavalry in the Union Army to fight in the war to maintain the Union. It is my blood that is caked in this soil, not his. I will not be chased off my own land. I know how these cowards fight, and I will beat them at their own sorry game. Shoot! I got him. Hey, another one's right behind him. Shit! Mona, pass me a rifle! And I will also destroy guns. The Courtship of Mona May, featuring Brandon Michael Hall as Ezekiel Montgomery. Gabrielle Atkins as Mona Mae Kristoff, Dee Rubin Green as Mr. Tump, Luke Slattery as James Connors, TJ Washington as Hayes, sound design by Experience J, art designed by Saramit Morales, original theme music composed by Jeanette Berry, and created, written, edited, and directed by Yanni Smith. Thank you for listening. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show.
So, Warren, what did you think of Raisin in the Sun? Was it Coca-Cola Classic, or was it New Coke? It was a crisp, refreshing Coca-Cola Classic with just a touch of cherry. Nice! So, do you agree with me now that instead of saying the next Shakespeare, we say the next Lorraine Hansberry? I would say that that is fine. Like, that Mm -hmm. is... Her writing of this was amazing i was Mm -hmm. not only was i entertained i was emotionally invested i was gripped Mm -hmm. i was afraid i was i was excited like that was the thing is oh (laughs) i'm always reminded of what a plebeian i am when we (laughs) cover a classic that i have never seen and i'm like holy moly this is Older than, you know, either mm. of my parents, but is amazing. Yes. And still holds up, mm-hmm. you know, e- even mm-hmm. even though there's certain aspects of it that are kind of dated just because the march of time. Mm-hmm. It still holds up. Yeah. It is still incredibly relevant. Yes. Uh, it, <laughs> yes. And I, I'm not um, incredibly familiar with Sydney Poitier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did I I say that right? Sydney Poitier. Poitier. Oh, no, now now I'm messing up the name. Oh, no. Curse you, French! (laughs) But not France. We love France. Thank you, France. Oh, France is fine. It's just the language. France is just a piece of land that people live on. It's the language that is ridiculous and made up. France, a piece of land that people live on. (laughs) I mean, it can be said for anything. But anyways... My deeply seated rivalry, well, not even a rival, it's very one-sided. Uh, <laughs> it's like your fights with Weber. It's like my fights with Weber in my head that he has no idea are going on. I hope. Or does he? You listening, Weber? Weber, do you listen? <laughs> okay, we're getting to... Patreon.com slash musical Weber. <laughs> too many tangents, too many tangents. So. It's because we're excited about this show. I... Oh. I, I had to understate things because if I built it up too much, you could have. I would have been so sad if you had hated it. <laughs> but I love this show. You no, know, but I don't think so because even even with shows that you get excited about and I know mm-hmm. you like, uh, I'm not afraid to tell you if I don't like it. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, if you <laughs> you have good taste, asterisk. Uh, <laughs> So if you like something, there's a good chance that I'll I'll at least like it half as much as you do. <laughs> Asterisk. Uh, so, with that being said, knowing that you like this, I was like, okay, there will be good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't like everything, there will be good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like wall to wall, this was really good. Really well done. Yay! Uh, I, I am honestly having a hard time thinking of things to be critical about mm. like story-wise and and things that I could look at and go you know I thought that was dumb or I thought that didn't make any mm-hmm. sense there are things that and I, I think it comes from me being a, a cis white man in the time that I was born because yeah. I was never a black person in 1960 yeah so. <laughs> I have some opinions that we'll talk about about things because there there was a thing that I thought might happen and it didn't happen the way I thought it was. And in retrospect, I realized that was me with oh. such a heavy level of 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 uh, ingrained subconscious privilege that mm-hmm. I didn't even realize. Yes. And I want to talk about that when we get to it. But I think because I because I have some 
thick, blocky words of notes on here. <laughs> I want to get into it. All right, let's get into this. So, A Raisin in the Sun. Our show opens with Sidney Poitier, who has a French last name that is impossible to spell unless you already know how to spell it. Because French. Special thanks to Kay for telling me how to spell Poitier. Anyways, we don't see Sydney's face for long, and as the alarm rings and the woman in the, of the house tells it to be quiet, she then rises from the bed to set about the morning routine, including stirring her son and husband from their early morning slumber. Mama sets out to preparing breakfast while Sydney Poitier's character, Walter, walks like a half-dead zombie trying to make it to the bathroom, but his son, Travis, is already in there. Walter complains about his son taking his time in the bathroom and how Walter can't be late on account of this boy messing around in there. Mm -hmm. Mama Ruth quips back at Walter saying that Travis can't get to bed because Walter and his friends are up late talking and whatnot. Walter mm. gets grumpy with Ruth who is scrambling his eggs for breakfast, but the fight doesn't get too heated as Travis bursts through the door to tell his father the bathroom is open. Walter makes it into the bathroom just before another man could. Yay for shared bathrooms. Oh my gosh. In apartment complexes. Oh my gosh. So I want to make a note because uh, <laughs> that morning scene, uh, Sydney, I had mentioned this to Kay the other night when we were watching the show, uh, but I, I, I like Jim Carrey. A lot mm -hmm. of people will give Jim Carrey um, grief saying that he doesn't have range or he's not that really good of an actor, but he's, he is a great physical comedian. Yes. Um, I like Jim Carrey. Yeah. But that aside, uh, I was seeing a lot of Jim Carrey in Sidney Poitier, and I mm -hmm. wonder if Jim if Carrey got... had inspiration from Sidney Poitier, because Ooh. I would be very curious to ask him that just because... Um, I got some Jim Carrey vibes from Sidney Poitier when he was mm -hmm. being a zombie trying to like walk yeah. around the house. He's carrying stuff and he's just yeah. this half dead sleepy man walking around the apartment. And mm -hmm. I was just getting, like I said, very, very Jim Carrey vibe. Sidney Poitier, I had no idea what an incredible actor he was mm. because he, he passed away uh, right around the the time within a year when you and I had met. Yeah. And I knew that it was a, tr a loss, but I mm -hmm. didn't really understand. Yeah. I understand more now. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. He, mm. Very, mm. like, very, very, very good. Yeah. Very good. And his entire, I mean, and the whole cast is, is amazing, but I kind of feel like because he is very much the center of it in a mm -hmm. lot of regards. So he kind of stands out more than others, but he also is the most impassioned actor out mm -hmm. of them. And uh, you believe his character too. Yes. When he is acting his character, you absolutely believe that he is Walter. Yes. And it, ah, oh, so good. He was, <laughs> yes, it cannot <sighs> be stated he is, enough. He is what, maybe someday I'll, when we start doing like actor profile uh, episodes more. I'll just do a whole Sydney Poitier episode. Cause... Oh, I'm down. I haven't seen the original <gasps> uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner either, so I've only seen the remake, so. So yeah, I would like to see more with Sydney Poitier. Oh, we, we're gonna, we're gonna have some <laughs> nights. We're gonna have some nights. Kay's eyes just sparkled, y'all. <laughs> All right. So Travis is eating his cereal, and he informs his mother that he needs 50 cents for school, to which Mama Ruth says, T.S., I ain't got it, boy. <laughs> and Travis throws a fit and gets ready to head to school, but not before Mama guilts him into giving her a hug and a kiss goodbye. Mm -hmm. Walter comes in as Travis is leaving, and Travis complains to his father that Mama won't give him 50 cents because they don't have it. 
Walter is like, how dare she? And he gives Travis a dollar just to show Mama Ruth what's what. Ruth shoots him a dagger of a look and Walter sends his son off to school. As Travis leaves, Benitha, Walter's sister, enters the scene, complaining about how the bathroom is always occupied in the morning. Walter then starts to snipe at Ruth about this idea that he's got an investment for. He Mm -hmm. and his two buddies, but they need, uh more money. And who has the money? Walter's mama has the money. And she has all this life insurance money that she's inherited from when Walter's father died, off screen Mm. an unspecified amount of time previously. Yeah. And Walter wants Ruth to talk to his mommy for him and get her to invest in his idea. Ruth doesn't want to, and Walter gets upset, saying that women who don't support their men are what's wrong with this world. Mm. Benitha re-enters the scene to argue with Walter as well. Benitha is studying to become a doctor, and Walter thinks that's dumb. She should be a nurse, or get married and shut up. (laughs) Ruth hands Walter his jacket and tells him uh, for the 30th time to go to work. Walter leaves, but not before complaining more about women and slamming the door behind him. Amen, Walter. Women can't live with them, can't go to Mars and have an all-male colony that will last. It sounded funnier in my head. <laughs> but now it sounds like a great idea. I need to call Cookie up. Cookie, we're going to Mars. Oh, no. No. <laughs> we'll eat poop potatoes. No. You keep those poop potatoes out of here. <laughs> Anyways, good news, though. The bathroom is now free, and Benitha pounces on the moment and exits the scene. I remembered what I was going to say about those shared bathrooms. Um, So... You have you seen any media where they have like those uh, apartment buildings where literally there is just a shared bathroom? I have seen stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I have seen stuff like that, and I I am glad that I have been fortunate in, enough in my life to never Same. have to be in that kind of situation. Same when when I was a kid, there were times like we were always lucky that we could rent either a house or a condo or something like that. But because of Hey Arnold, I all I thought that all apartments were like that. And so I was just like, oh, oh, no, it, I, it's bad enough. The idea of someone else's laundry touching my laundry, <laughs> but having to share a bathroom with the neighbor down the street. Oh, yeah. What if the neighbor picks his nose and wipes it on the walls? Like stuff oh. like that. I was <laughs> I mean, you and I have some very disgusting horror stories just about the bathrooms from work. So, could you imagine having to that be your bathroom at home? Yeah. Seat pooper. So, yes. But, like, (laughs) that scene right there is such a, you know exactly the space, like, you know exactly what condition this family has been living in for for years. 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 Because we find out that Walter and his family, that, that... his mama and his father have been living in there for, for like, what, 20-something years? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, oh, no. Oh. Actually, no longer than that. Longer, they, yeah. Because yeah. that's the only home that Walter's ever known, and he's 35, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. I, whew, whew, man. Anyway. Housing needs to, 
Yeah. I will not get on my free housing or subsidized housing soapboxes. Or affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, uh, yes, the bathroom is free, and Benita pounces on it and exits the scene. Grandma, Lena, now enters the scene, wondering what all that door slamming is about. And Ruth <laughs> is like, Walter and Benny at it again. Mama Lena gives some exposition that she's now retired and will be staying at home from now on to spoil her grandson even more than she already does. Mama Lena gives some sweet exposition about her husband, God rest his soul, as well as Walter as a child, stubborn and strong-willed, just like his father. The exposition ends as we see Walter at work, waxing a car as a loudspeaker tells him to bring the car around front. Oh yeah, Walter is a chauffeur. I forgot to mention that. Anyway, <laughs> Walter's scene is short and mostly serves as a way to show that time has passed. The scene then moves back to the home and Ruth is doing some chores while Mama Lena comes home from the market, complaining about how tired she is. What with having to drive all the way out there to the market because she doesn't like the hustle and bustle of the supermarket. Yes. So I imagine she's going to like a farmer's market or something like that. Yeah, I love I love the line too about like the shrink wrapped meat. That that bothers yeah, her. Yeah, that, that bothers her. And I had to sit there again and go, yeah, that's not something that would have that been you... a newer thing. Yeah, that would have been a newer thing. Everything would have been wrapped behind in paper. A... Yeah, wrapped in paper behind a butcher's counter where you can go that one and that one. And that's considered a luxury right now. So it's like, goodness, <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, how things flip and invert. Mama Lena and Ruth have some more dialogue, bonding bits. Lena inquires if Ruth is ill, as she doesn't look that well, and she tells her to take tomorrow off. But Ruth can't, because I guess she's a maid to a rich person, and they're throwing a party, and of course they need all of their serving staff for this party. Mm -hmm. Find out later she works in a kitchen, so yeah. I guess I'm not that far off. But uh, yes, and so the rich person, of course, needs all their servants for this party. And Mama Lena is like, psh, we got that insurance money, $10,000, coming in tomorrow. The two just kind of sit with the gravity that there will be money in the house, which they've never had. Mm -hmm. Lena's money, of course, as Ruth mentions, and that she should use that money to go on a trip and enjoy some leisure for once in her life. Mama Lena feels like she should use the money to help with Benny's medical school or other expenses. And then she gets frustrated and talks about using the money. Oh, no, that's, that's later. Sorry. She then talks about using the money as a down payment on getting a home for them all to live in. Mm -hmm. Ruth says that a house would be much better than this rat trap. And for a moment, Lena is about to get defensive about this rat trap apartment, but then goes into a story about moving in with her husband two weeks after they were married. We then get some more exposition about Walter Sr. and how he was a hard-working man who was gruff but loved his children. Mm-hmm. Benita re-enters the scene again, and Mama Lena is like, I thought your Friday class isn't out until 3.30. And Benina, and Benina, <laughs> and Benny, because her, her name is Benita. Yes. Which I think is a really interesting name because yeah. it kind of... To me, I hear Benita and I think beneath, like mm -hmm. beneath you, beneath mm -hmm. everyone. So it seems almost like a, a condescending tone, <laughs> but her nickname is Benny. So yeah, you may hear me say either Benny or Benita, same person, listeners. <laughs> yes, but Benny comments that, yeah, her class normally gets out at 3.30, but she's starting her guitar lessons today. Ruth and Lena then start going on about how Benny is flighty and goes from one hobby to the next, never sticking with anything. <laughs> Horseback riding, acting, and now guitar playing. Mm -hmm. Benny then tells him that she's just experimenting and trying to f learn new things so that she can learn more about herself. 
To which the other two laugh and laugh. The topic of dating comes up and how Benny has been seeing a Mr. George, but she's not that serious about him. I mean, she likes going out with him because he buys stuff, but <laughs> he's, he's just so vain. Oh, God. I love the comment about how she calls him vain, yes. but she is incredibly vain yes. in her comments. But man, I love Benita. She is my... Benita has I some love of the her. best best dialogue which I, yes. I didn't necessarily write down but we'll talk about yeah. some of the stuff that she says oh, i love her because beneatha is is from what i can tell the context she is the only uh person in this entire family's generations who's going who's going to college yes she's the only yes. one who's gone to college and she has big aspirations she wants to be a doctor mm-hmm. you know which in 1960 a black woman wanting to be a doctor that's a that's yeah. a pretty steep that's... mountain to climb which yes. i'm like you go beneatha yeah uh, she is She's such a good character. She's a, and they're they're all good characters yeah. in their own ways for their own reasons. And yeah. yeah. I adore her. Okay. So the topic of dating comes up and how Benny has been seeing a Mr. George, but she's not that serious about him because he's so vain. Doesn't matter that he's rich. He thinks Benny wanting to be a doctor is dumb. And Benny isn't having any of that. She is going to be a doctor, God willing, Mama Lena mutters. And then we get a clash of ideals as Benny starts talking about how God isn't real, has nothing to do with them, and is an idea she doesn't like. Mama Lena is not having any of that. Mm-mm. And she slow walks over to Benny Benina. I keep wanting to say Benina. She slow walks over to Benny before laying a mama slap across her face, mm-hmm. telling her to repeat her words and that under Mama's house there's still there is still God. Benina repeats the line with tears in her eyes before leaving the scene. So, mm-hmm. Lena then vents to Ruth about how she can't connect with her children anymore. One is all science-minded, not believing in God, and the other is all about how to get rich and make money with, with uh, shady schemes. Ruth then tries to give Walter's idea for a business some life and talks to Lena about it. Turns out... Walter's big investment idea is a liquor store. Mm-hmm. Lena says that she's getting too close to meeting her maker and doesn't want that liquor selling on her ledger. Nor I the love mem- that. Yeah, nor the memory of her husband tied up in peddling booze to people too broke to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Lena turns from Ruth and we see Ruth <clears throat> unwell. Lena tells Ruth to sing that song that she always sings, but Ruth decides to take a surprise nappy nap instead. <laughs> And collapses onto the floor. I I remembered Nick. <laughs> there you go. There's a... Oh, they didn't pass out. They had a surprise nap. Yes, yes. And uh, one sec, because I want to point out, because I've got the script here. So there's a line in this <clears throat> that I want to point out, because it comes back later. Please do. And this is... It's, I won't say reprise because that is fully musical theater, but it is a beautiful callback later. So the line is Mama sitting on the couch and says, Honey, Big Walter would come in here some nights back then and slump down on that couch there and just look at the rug and look at me and look at the rug and then back at me. And I'd know he was down then, really down. And then she talks about how they lost a child. Oh, I missed that. Yes. That uh, she says, and then, Lord, when I lost that baby, little Claude, I almost thought I was going to lose big Walter, too. Oh, that man grieved himself. He was one man to love his children. 
And that line comes back later. And when we get to it, I will... Uh, is that is that the, the you're talking about a callback at the very end? Kind yes. Of thing? Yeah. When we get to it, I'll read that line too. So that uh, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad you have that book because yes. you can read all the good lines that I was too smooth brain oh. to write down. Yes, this book. So again, Black Theater USA. This is not a paid plug. Just <laughs> get it. It's two books. It's uh, the pre. It's it's like. 1847 to 1930 and then 1935 to today two volumes get it Alrighty. so the scene changes to a bar where walter is meeting with his prospective partners about their shared business venture they both have their ten thousand dollars and are waiting for walter to come up with his share hmm. walter says that he needs another day to convince the stubborn women at home and he drinks a toast to breaking out into business Back at home, Benny inquires where Ruth is, and Lena is like the doctor, and the two speculate if Ruth has a bun in the oven. The speculation doesn't last as Benny gets a call from a boy she met at school, Joseph Asagai, who is from Nigeria, and Benny tells Lena not to ask Joseph any ignorant questions about Africans, like if they wear clothes. Before Lena can <laughs> snap on her daughter too much, Ruth comes in, fresh from the doctor, and pregnant two months. Mm-hmm. I wrote that kind of weird. I don't know why I wrote it that way. She's two months <laughs> pregnant. You know, if I took time to proofread and edit my notes, then I wouldn't be Warren. <laughs> Benny starts in with the 20 questions, asking if Ruth was trying or if it was an accident. Ruth tells Benny to mind her own business, and Benny is like, It is my business. Where's the baby gonna sleep? The roof? And Benny quickly realizes she was very rude and tries to apologize. Mm -hmm. Ruth collapses from stress, and they help her up and usher her into the bedroom to lay down. Mm. The, door the doorbell rings, and Benny is like, Oh, it's Asagai, and lets him into the house as Lena closes the door on Ruth's room. Joseph is here with a gift for Benny. A lovely dress wrap all the way from Nigeria. He shows her how to wrap it and tells her that she must take good care of it because it's from his sister's personal wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Benny is taken aback by the gesture and Joseph tries to move in on her. Benny gets really upset that Joseph seems to have only one thing on his mind when it comes to Benny and she tells him as much. Joseph laughs and laughs about how silly American women are, thinking that there is anything more between men and women than that. <laughs> Joseph tries to excuse himself from the situation, but not before Mama Lena can enter the room and make a bit of a fool of herself with reiterating her daughter's lines, yes. saying that most people don't know anything about Africa besides Tarzan. Joseph politely excuses himself, but says that he'll call Benny on Monday. <laughs> Mama Lena makes some comment about Benny in her African dress, and Benny leaves the apartment in a huff. And in in the scene when they're talking about Ruth going to the doctor, Ruth mentions the theme, the doctor being a woman. Mm -hmm. which and that... I, which I missed, but Lena picks up mm -hmm. on right away. Yeah, and so the actress who plays Mama Lena does such a good job of just conveying that she, like... Yeah, it just, oh no! That she, she, yeah, mm -hmm. that she catches it and she does it in a great physical expression, and she kind of the head tilt, mm -hmm. like eye squint, like, did I hear that right? Mm -hmm. She's like, I did hear that right, and then she starts following the implications of what it means. Mm -hmm. And 
and you can kind of have that undercurrent in every time that she is on the screen that that is in the back of her mind because she's snowballing because of what that's going to imply and we'll talk about that of course yeah onward a special piece of paper is here and travis goes to fetch it the rectangular envelope is handed off to mama lena and with great reverence, she opens and set she opens said envelope and confirms that yes, indeedy, their family is ten thousand dollars richer. Mm. Mama Lena laments about the evils of money and wonders if she should just throw it away or give it all to the church. Ruth swoops in to be like, "Your dead husband would be angry at you for having those fool thoughts." And Mama Lena is like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. we have enough things going on in our lives that need that money, anyways." And who? Who already has big plans for that money, I ask? Why, it's Walter Jr. who Mm -hmm. enters the scene like, Money! Is the money here? I can smell it. Give it to me! (laughs) And Mama Lena gets upset about Walter not even greeting his family before asking about money. Mm -hmm. Mama Lena goes on to say that she will not be giving any of that money to Walter for his liquor store. Walter tries to convince her by showing a contract that he has already been that has already been looked over by a lawyer, and Mama Lena crumples up that contract and throws it at him. Walter pursues his mother into her bedroom, trying to change her mind. When the attempt to change her mind fails, he then launches into a very well-acted diatribe about how he wants to provide for his family. He wants to make something of himself. He wants more in life than to be a chauffeur to a rich man who talks about million-dollar deals. Mm -hmm. Mama Lena tries to tell him that money is not the answer, and Walter is like, But it is! Money, Mama! Money is the answer to our problems! And after being told no by his mama for the tenth time, Walter goes to leave the house, but is stopped dead in his tracks as Mama Lena tells Walter that Ruth is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Ruth then mentions that because of the strain on their lives, she's going to get an abortion. Mama mm-hmm. Lena then tells Walter to be the man like his father, to be a man like his father and tell his wife, no, do not get an abortion. But Walter does not. Walter is silent while Mama Lena yells at him about what he should say. Walter then leaves the house and heads out to drink as his mother yells at him that he's a disgrace to his father. Mm. That was a that was a pretty mm-hmm. tough scene. Very tough scene. And that was the thing too is is Mama Lena picked as soon as Ruth mentioned she Mama Lena knew exactly where she went. Where she went. And yeah. if you're at if you're someone who lived through like lived through that period of time or if you're someone who uh heard enough stories about it then you would know that that is exactly what it was and not oh woman who's a doctor because it's kind of an interesting thing too because you've got the beneatha being a doctor or wanting to be a doctor so when you first hear that line if you're not thinking about it too hard, then it's like, oh, yeah, she went to see a woman doctor, and that's the issue. But then as soon as that line drops, it's like, oh, there's there's a double meaning in there mm-hmm. a little bit. And it's yeah. just like, whew, because you know that that's not, that Benita most likely is going into, like, general practice or something like that, but there there's kind of 
a little bit of a cultural thing now, like 60s or, well, pre-80s culture <laughs> thing of, oh, if you're going in to be a doctor, then this is what you're really going to be doing. And I don't know, it's an yeah. interesting cultural moment that I, that's one of the things that I feel doesn't it, they would have to update if they weren't to keep it as in the period of time that it is like if you were to try to do it in 2020 you couldn't have that she line it wouldn't have that, the same meaning yeah it wouldn't have the same women meaning. doctors are are commonplace yeah. now yeah if if anything it, if you said oh my gynecologist i went there and he did this it would be like oh you've got a male gynecologist yeah <laughs> i've always amazed when when women have male gynecologists because if i was a woman i would want a female gynecologist yeah yeah that's neither here nor there that's neither here nor there but it's just it's one of those things that is such a brain switch that you have to put yourself in that time period for that line to fully work and it's why i it's why that is one of the few things that you would have to completely change. Like, it, one of the few lines you would have to completely change if you were to, to up update yeah, it. Yeah, to update it. Otherwise, if you were to say, like, it, you know, 1961, like, put it in the time yeah. that it was, then you could leave it as is and yeah. still be thing. But I just always think of whenever people are trying to update some of these classic shows, and I go, okay, from from the point of view of someone writing the screenplay for that or the revival play for that you need to be cognizant of this so mm -hmm. you can't just can't just copy paste <laughs> but that's how i do all my homework i'm sorry you guys should see the look Kay gave me <laughs> i just copy and paste from wikipedia horror <laughs> i don't even take out the <laughs> anyway anyway okay <laughs> so after Walter leaves the uh, the apartment, after his mommy refuses to give him money and he finds out that his wife is pregnant and going to get an abortion because their lives are very difficult and they don't have room for another mouth to feed. Mm -hmm. And there's some tension with yes. Ruth and Walter. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Mm -hmm. We then see Walter getting drunk at a bar and the scene goes back to the house where Benny is fully garbed in the clothing of a, of a well-to-do Nigerian woman and stops the record that's currently playing and puts on some Nigerian drums and proceeds to dance a dance about welcoming the men back to the village after being gone. Walter returns drunk as a skunk and grooves on the drum beats along with his sister. Walter then drunkenly hops on the kitchen table and gives an impassioned tribal speech about listening to nature and preparing for war. It is at this time that Benny's other suitor, George, enters and is much displeased about all the <laughs> pro-African nonsense going on, mm -hmm. to which Benny gets very in his face about it, forcing Ruth to pull Benny into another room and close the door on her so that she can change. Ruth then asks George to sit down, will you? Mm -hmm. We can talk while Benny is getting changed. Because George shows up to take Benny out. Yeah. And he's like, you can't wear that to the show we're going. We're going to see a show, not be in a show. Yeah. Being very uh, condescending about that. And then Benny is just like ready to rip his throat out. And I love the stuff that she mentions because it, yes. it's stuff that 
I, that I went my entire life without knowing. I've always been a fan of history. Mm -hmm. Always, you know, I took honors history classes when I could because I always enjoyed world history and ancient civilizations. They never teach anything about Africa in any of those classes. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that Africans were the first to smelt iron and that they were trading with China before Europe was. Mm -hmm. And just all of these really amazing things. They had democratically elected monarchies. Like, they had huge, sprawling cities. You never learn about any of that. And I was so uh -huh. incredibly disillusioned and frustrated as an adult to find that out because it's just uh, uh, another another nail in the coffin of, of white supremacy in America and how Mm. that's not talked about. It's like, it's not, to, I'm going to hop on my soapbox really quick You're because fine. I am very serious You're about fine, this topic. Baby. It is incredibly frustrating that the portrayal of Africans as just being tribal loincloth wearing, mm -hmm. you know, hunter gatherer types mm -hmm. somehow makes it easier in the minds of some people to justify colonialization and mm -hmm. slavery that, Oh, they were simple, savage people. And they were, mm -hmm. you know, saved by the, the the noble European who who took them from their homeland and gave them a purpose or mm -hmm. whatever you want to say. Not that they had kingdoms, that they had trading empires that were mm -hmm. infiltrated and a coup was thrown and that mm -hmm. governments were toppled mm -hmm. and thrown into disarray so that they could be pillaged. Mm -hmm. <sighs> and even with the hunter-gatherer societies, they're society they're, they're still sovereign entities who <laughs> yeah. are doing their own thing and didn't deserve to be yeah treated like and, animals and uh i i always recommend folks uh folks study some of the stuff about like uh happiness in uh some of the hunter-gatherer societies too and stuff because it's kind of like well you know it's just humans live different ways and what the way that one human lives in one environment is not necessarily like inferior to the way another human lives in another environment. In my opinion, I am of a mind that uh, some of the ways that we live in the Western world is not great. It's we we <laughs> have a a a pillage mentality. We have a mm -hmm. horde mentality. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's living in a consumer-based society, you know, mm -hmm. often unless you have the latest and greatest, you're less yeah. than kind of thing. Because we haven't turned off that instinct that tells us that we'll never have enough no, yet. even though we are living in the most technologically advanced society in the record of human history, we are still subject to our caveman brain because mm -hmm. humans have not changed that much in 10,000 years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, evolutionarily speaking. And so we still have that that emptiness inside of us that is there's never going to be enough. There won't be enough food. There won't be enough shelter. Mm -hmm. There won't be enough, you know, you'll die when it gets cold because you won't have, you know, furs to keep you warm. You won't have yeah. X, Y, or Z. You are in danger. You are threatened. And so that mm -hmm. has carried over into our modern lives and you get people who try to fill that hole with unbelievable wealth and mm -hmm. all other people are suffering. Okay. I'm going to get back to my notes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I will be ranting until the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> we uh, still have to work. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, Ruth got in George's face about him not uh, wanting to know anything about his African heritage. Be uh, Benitha. Yeah, Ruth. Got sorry, him. sorry. Benitha got into George's face. Thank you mm -hmm. for correcting me. Ruth sits him down to talk while Benitha is changing. 
The talk doesn't last long as Walter enters the scene to berate George for his fancy clothing and college education. Walter insults George heavily with some slurs and then tries to talk to George about business and how he should hook him up with his old man because Walter has ideas. Lots of ideas. Mm -hmm. Ideas that are going to turn this city upside down. George is like, yeah, yeah, we should do that sometime, Walter. But Walter reads the subtext and is like, yeah, sometime, whenever you have the time, being a busy college boy with stupid shoes. Mm -hmm. And before Walter can beat the crap out of George, Benny comes out of her room to be, well, her mom's room anyway, where she was changing. Mm -hmm. Benny comes out to be like, okay, George, I changed into something more Western. We can go on our date now. Yep. And the two bail before the beating can begin. George and does peek his head in to say goodnight, Prometheus, to Walter yes! before closing the door. And one thing with uh, the counterpoints between Asagai and George is two different ways yep. that, like, you have you have Benitha being pulled between do I assimilate or do I try to get some of that old identity back. And that's something that is, that's one of those uniquely black experiences. Mm -hmm. And George has assimilated. George has fully assimilated. Yeah. He does not give two craps about anything mm -hmm. that has to do with Africa. Yeah. He is, his father is a successful businessman. Mm -hmm. George is a successful businessman. Mm -hmm. They have money. They are, they are fully assimilated into the American capitalist yeah. system and they are benefiting from it and they don't yes. see any reason to care about where they came from. Mm -hmm. Sort of an I got mine. I No, exactly. It's and, an I got mine. Yeah, pull up the ladder. I got mine. I got and, mine. Pull up the ladder behind me. And it's so interesting, too, because then I sit here and go, you know, there will be a shoe drop moment because there always is and... Five years later, ten years later, I want to see what happened with George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the shoe drop moment happened. <laughs> you know, I would be very curious to know a synopsis about what George's life has been. Because you know that he had to experience racism himself. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I wonder where he... But at the same time, it's like, I wonder what... Same thing, his father. What was there? Like, how did they accumulate mm -hmm. their wealth? What did they do? Anyway, anyways. But... But. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because then you've got Asagai, who is the symbol for her roots, mm -hmm. like the stuff that's been taken away that we have to try and reclaim. But we don't know where in Africa we're from. No. We don't know our tribe. We don't know any of that. Because mm -hmm. the only records that exist are cargo records from, mm -hmm. you know, numbers mm -hmm. like it's property being sold. Yeah. So it's like no... I, it's, it's, oh. you've watched me get frustrated. Yeah. Trying, when, trying to explore your heritage. Yeah. Cause yeah, I can go up my mom's side for a while and on my mom's maternal side, I can go up pretty far. I can go all the way back to the Viking era on my maternal grandmother's side. Uh, what was it? 980? It's something like that. His name was Gore. Yeah. Um, but from my dad's side. I hit a wall yeah. at about 1850, mm -hmm. I want to say, maybe 1840s is when I just hit this wall. And even with them, I don't know their parents. I don't know, uh, other than names in the back of a Bible, I don't know. And then after that point, I don't know how long we've been in this country because 
then it's just check marks on how many slaves you have in your census. And Mm -hmm. there's no name to go with that. There's no face to go with that. And it's so frustrating. So I feel Benita so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I, yeah. And, but I can, I can, uh, I can, uh, sympathize and I can mm -hmm. try and empathize, but it's, it's such a completely different removed world that it's something that I will never fully understand, but I can embrace the fact that it is meaningful to people who want to try and, and, and reclaim that part of their history. Yeah. And I do, I really like Benita is probably my favorite character in this because I love how she is such a firecracker. She is not going to let the system tell her she cannot do something. Mm -hmm. She's going to go to school. She's going to be the doctor, you know? Yes. She, she, and I, I do, I love the parts, you know, where she's playing that record and she's wearing the, uh, the garb that she got from, uh, Asagai and stuff Mm -hmm. and, and really embracing, um, what she's learned about Nigeria and stuff and, and some of the tribal, the, the, uh, uniquely tribal aspects like the, the the dance about welcoming men back you know mm-hmm. to the village after they've been gone and stuff like that um and how much knowledge that she has about african yes. history before the the colonialization before the diaspora yeah and she i see she reminds me of a more uh in your face type of you yeah because you are so incredibly kind and gentle and sweet mm-hmm. and i don't think that beneath is not but yeah. it isn't it isn't until the last few years that you've kind of come out of your shell and been like you know what i am sick of this and i'm gonna tell you <laughs> yeah kind of thing uh because i you know i and i take a little bit of credit for that because i was yeah. i was like hey Kay, hey Kay. Okay, you help me feel safe <laughs> and help me feel like i could be comfortable because you know, living in Utah, I'm one of very few black <laughs> people. Yeah. So it's kind of a, if when I'm around them, I can be myself, but around most other people here, oh, I've got to, I've got to try and conform. And so then being around you, you have made me feel so safe that I can start being like, okay, <sighs> I can, I can relax. I can, I can actually show my real face and not the mask I put up to greet people at the grocery store or whatever. I can, I can be me with all the weirdness too. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yay. Weird brain stuff. But hey, weird people are the best people. It's the boring, (laughs) normal people. I want nothing to do. with. True. True. But yeah, I, I feel beneath so much. And that scene (laughs) is one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in the whole show I because <laughs> I Benita is me in my heart. Oh, I love it because George <laughs> like belittling her about wanting to know her African heritage and she just gets in his face about mm-hmm. how he doesn't respect where he came from and, how, and the greatness of, of Africa and yes. you know all the things that they accomplished you know before other cultures mm-hmm. did other civilizations did and and I love I love that scene because she's yelling it at at at, at uh, George as Ruth is pulling her arm yes. and pushing her into <laughs> Mama Lena's room so that Ruth can change and just and then she closes the door and she's like would you like to have a seat yeah, yeah. Just... Well, and also just the way that once she found this she had to show her joy and to show her joy she's showing off the dances and she's mm-hmm. and i'm just like 
Yeah, Benitha, same. Because <laughs> I, you feel I that. had that. I had a period like that too when I started. Uh, it was after our pastor who uh, was born in Zambia came to Utah and started. Uh, I think he was in Virginia first, but came to Utah to preach and uh getting connected there and then going to uh like african supermarkets and stuff with his family uh and kind of getting that part of a community too it i don't know i i had that same path as benitha had a little bit of being like okay getting into heritage i don't know which part of my heritage like I don't know where I come from, but at least I have a little bit of something. Cling to something, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, and it's that's the thing. Since West Africa was the most heavily affected mm. by the slave trade, that yeah. It's yeah. Nigeria is good for her. Zambia. I mean, I do have a little bit of that according to the ancestry dot com thing, but it's one of those they can't tell exactly where. So yeah, it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, but ah, oh, I love Benita. This is a pro Benita podcast. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Benita for the win. And I hope that she went on to be an awesome doctor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you were going to say something about the actress. Oh, did something bad happen to her? She passed of, it was some sort of carcinoma, like really young and yeah yeah because i was looking her up the other day going oh what else is she in what oh god because because as i said that i saw the the life drain from your eyes and then i immediately uh, mm. uh, well well her character lives on yeah she was awesome okay she was really cool change of subject so yes uh <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I, I do want to talk about, uh, uh, I do love that line as George is getting pulled away by Benitha to go to their show. He peeks his head in and says, good night, Prometheus, mm -hmm. to Walter before closing the door. And I love, I want to talk about why he called him Prometheus, because Walter, after being incredibly insulting to mm -hmm. George and his father, then proceeds to be like, hey, you should hook me up so I can take some of your dad's money and yes. invest it in my ideas because I'm so great. I'm going to turn this world upside down because, you know, with my great thoughts. And I love that he called him Prometheus. And I'll talk about it later, but Walter has no idea who Prometheus is. Yes. And I, I love, I just love that he called him Prometheus because that's such a subtle jab being like, oh yeah, you're going to give humanity fire. You're going to do something yes. so pivotal to, to the mm -hmm. rest of the world kind of thing that you will be, you know, you'll live on in legend forever. And I just love that little jab. Yeah. But anyways, so Walter launches into a thing about how college boys like George can't even insult like a man. Prometheus is probably something George made up. But before too much can be said, Mama Lena comes back in to tell the family some good news. She spent that money on buying a house for the family to live in. George snaps the glass that he's holding and cuts his hand. Mm -hmm. Stone-faced, he wraps his hand in a towel, all while, all while Mama Lena tells the family about the house she bought. Three bedrooms, a backyard, a huge basement. It's a good, solid building. The only issue... It's surrounded by white folks. Mm -hmm. Ruth is happy about the news and leaves the room to love on her son, Travis. Mama Lena asks the quiet, sulking Walter to tell her that she's done right by the family and that he's proud of the choice 
that she has made, and it was the right choice. Walter goes off on her, saying that it was her money to do with as she wished. She always did what she wished, pushing everyone around her, uh, talking about her children's dreams, and then crushing those dreams. Hmm. Walter leaves again, sad. Hmm. The scene changes to the next day, or three days, as we'll find out, and the phone rings. Ruth answers it, and it's the wife of Walter's boss. And apparently, he's not been showing up to work for the last three days, mm-hmm. even though he said he was going to work. And if Walter does not come in tomorrow, he's fired. Mama mm. Lena has had enough of this foolishness and goes to collect her son from that drinking establishment he frequents, oddly named the Kitty Cat. Yep. Okay, then. Cut to said cat of kitty, where Walter is drowning in his pity. Mama Lena comes in and tells her son to stop it. Stop all this drinking and come home. Mama Lena pays his tab and sits down with her son at a booth. The two have a bit of heart-to-heart as Walter asks her why she left the South 40 years ago. She explains that she did it thinking she could make a better life for herself here. And Walter pounces on that answer to be like, Mm. but I wanted to make a better life for me and my family, and you took that away. And I don't think I'll ever get that kind of opportunity again. Walter then collapses on the table in a sad pile, and Mama Lita pulls out a fat roll of Benjamins and tells Walter that she put 3,500 down on the house and has 6,500 left. And on Monday... She wants Walter to take that to take three thousand of that money and put it into a savings account for uh, Benny's medical school, and to take the rest of it and put it into a checking account that that money will be for him, Walter, to decide what to do, and that he needs to lead this family as the man of the house. Walter is gobsmacked and asks his asks his mama if she trusts him that much, and she replies that she never stopped trusting him, just mm. like she never stopped loving him. Mm. Which, yeah, that very touching scene, yeah, has some horrible comeuppance. Yeah, it's like, come on now. Oh, I, I, oh. okay, we'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. The scene, oh. the scene changes to the entire family in nice clothing, taking a cab to their new, very white home. The family is very excited and goes in to examine their new happy home. Out in the backyard, they give Mama Lena some gifts. The first one is a set of gardening tools, and the second is a gift from Travis. It is a hideous hat. And while everyone (laughs) mocks Travis for his poor gift-giving taste, Mama Lena insists that the hat is what she's always wanted and puts it on and then pulls her grandson close for a hug. All while his mother, father, and aunt laugh and laugh. I love that scene. <laughs> it's I, really cute. I Travis is a, he's a sweet boy. Mm-hmm. He gosh, he's such a cute little kid. Yeah, I, I I do so I like that scene because, you know, they're they're just walking around their new house. They're very mm. excited. They're exploring all the rooms, you know, and just like can't believe this is ours. Yeah. They go into the backyard and Lena, uh, or sorry, not Lena, Ruth, Benny, and Walter give uh, uh, Lena the gardening tools because she had yes. mentioned previously that there's a little patch of dirt in this house and maybe she can start a garden kind of thing. Since she's going to be retired, she'll have mm-hmm. time to do that. And so they give her this these nice, wide array of gardening tools and she just holds them close to her chest and is just like, oh, I'm well, so happy. And she's got to have her garden for her little plant. 
Yeah, that's right. Which I forgot to mention I, at the he, top. He, he, that I have a note about that. In that here the because little plant. They, yes. they, yeah, there's this plant that's been struggling to live in the earlier scenes, and I make mention of it later. But yeah. anyway, when they're packing it up. So one thing I was going to point out that I don't think I mentioned at the beginning, um, of the actors that didn't make it from the Broadway to the film uh, was the actor for Travis Younger, just because he aged out of the role. I'm pretty Makes sure sense. that's the reason. So uh, Travis was played by Stephen Perry, and I don't have any film credits for him right now. But That's okay. Yeah. Just little fun fact. He Stephen a... Perry, you were an adorable kid. <sighs> he was a cute little kid. Okay, so onward. Walter is literally singing at the, as the family boxes up their belongings, and he puts on a jazz record and starts dancing with his wife. Oh, I forgot to mention that it wasn't... Uh, yeah, because this, this is important. So, uh, from the very beginning of the show up until after uh, Walter gets the money from his mother, mm -hmm. um, him and his wife have a very confrontational relationship, like mm -hmm. really, really bad. Ruth even makes a comment one of the times that Walter leaves, saying that telling telling uh, his mother that she doesn't know where they went wrong, doesn't know what happened, mm -hmm. but they lost it, and just that they their marriage is, is broken basically yeah. and it's it's really sad how rude walter is to his wife yes. the whole show yes um after we have that moment where lena gives him the money and says you need to be the man of the house now and make these decisions walter then comes home and uh ruth is laying on the bed and he doesn't say anything but he gets on his knees and he lovingly drapes her and she yeah. you know, lovingly drapes him and you get this you get the implication that things are going to be better from then on yeah. you know kind of thing and we do get uh at least a scene here that things are better because they're yeah they're actively dancing and showing affection to one another which we haven't seen throughout the whole mm -hmm. show it's just been him being like Ugh, you woman he even mm. makes a comment at one point saying that when she like goes into their room, he says, now nah, that's the worst mistake I ever made. Yeah. Implying his wife is the worst mistake he ever made, which I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. It's... Ugh, I never want to be in that situation. Nope. Huh. So, yes. So now we're in this scene where Walter is dancing as the family's boxing up their belongings, puts on a jazz record, is dancing with his wife, a knock on the door, and a Mr. Linder is there to see Mama Lena. The family invites him in and offers him a seat and a drink. <laughs> Mr. Linder, <sighs> who is the voice of Piglet from Winnie the Pooh, by the way. <laughs> Kay was incredibly funny when this happened because I'm listening to this guy and my brain is tickling me going, man, he sounds familiar. What have I heard him from? And I'm like, this is from 1960. Like, what would I possibly know him from? Mm -hmm. And then Kay turns to me and goes, do you recognize that voice? And then my brain was like, aha. I knew I recognized something <laughs> and I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling going through whatever I can think of. And then I asked Kay to tell me. And when they say piglet, I'm just immediately like, Oh my gosh, piglet's a racist. 
And Piglet here is is here to deliver racism news in a very friendly manner. Ugh. He tells them the community they're moving into does not want them to move into their nice white neighborhood, and the gravity of the situation settles on the family. Mm. Walter asks Mr. Piglet to leave, and Mr. Piglet is all, I just don't see why you're all so upset about this. You can't force people to change their hearts. And this scene, <sighs> this scene yeah. I, I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't want it to be bad, but I knew it was going to be bad because 1960s. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because initially this guy shows up and he's very friendly and everything. Big smile says mm-hmm. he's from the... Uh, the Clyborne Park. Yeah, thank you. Clyborne Park Welcome Committee or whatever. Mm-hmm. Talks about that. You know, we have this this com- this wonderful community that everybody's worked so hard to build. And, and we think that the, the problem in the world is that people just don't sit down and talk to one another and get Ugh. to know each other and every and and Walter and and Ruth and and uh, uh, Benny are all like yeah exactly you know people don't get to know us mm-hmm. and he and you and it's slow it's a slow build to mm-hmm. realize that he's telling them we don't want you mm-hmm. but you start and and um um Benny is the first one to really realize it because she's the the college educated one kind of thing. Yeah. And they're all kind of on a little nervous. Then they kind of start to feel a little bit better as this guy's being really nice and friendly to them. And then the gravity, because he's talking about these people have worked really hard to build a type of community that they want, you know, and and they just want to make sure that they get to keep this community the way that they want, where they can raise their children Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then you see Benny just, her eyes starts to, her brow starts to lower kind of thing. Uh Yeah. Because she has been going to college. She's been going to university. Yeah, and she's been experiencing the the racism that white peers are probably pushing on to her. And and... I don't recall if she specifically mentions anything. No. But but... it's one of those things that she has to have because 1960s Chicago. I mean, just... It's the it's the subtext. There's a lot that, of subtext in the show, yeah, by the way. It's it's the subtext that if you're not black, you probably don't pick up on like why it's this person necessarily like it. You don't pick up on the materialism behind it. You pick up on the oh no, she's going to be the first one. But then you don't have the experience of the you get into an area where you because when i was in colorado i didn't quite experience racism to the great degree that i did when i moved here and i kind of have that same thing where she's probably had like she's experienced it for sure but when it gets to where you're in school and you see the same person every day it it's like Oh, this is an underhanded, slow type of... It's slow burn racism, and it sucks. It's not overt because they don't want to get shamed for being racist. So it's got to be subtle. It's got to be under the skin. And you you get to learn the subtle racism. And then then when a dog whistle happens, you know immediately what is about to happen, and you can brace yourself for it. A thing I forgot to mention about that scene... um, when he, he when he's telling them that he does that the Clyborne Park doesn't want them to move there, they make he makes the comment that the community raised money to buy back the house yep. 
at a at a plus to the family so they would have actually mm-hmm. made more money off of that house but they are you know mm-hmm. they're kind of like no like we we're going to live there we want to live in this neighborhood this is our home you know get out kind of thing mm-hmm. but that plot comes back later yeah so <sighs> after mr piglet von shovet leaves <laughs> Mama, Mama Lena and Travis come home. The others are silent. They kind of wing it and are like, Hey, you had a visitor, Mama. The welcoming community from our new neighborhood. They, uh... Freaking homeowners association Wanted to say they can't wait to see your face. And they can't wait to have a nice colored family living there. Yeah. He even left his card. Mama Lena picks up on the subtext right away and is like, God help us. Did they threaten us? And <laughs> and uh, they express that no, they didn't. They don't do it that way anymore. They preached their brotherhood while hide, while talking hate. Mm-hmm. The group laughs, and uh, the the group laughs, and they're like, "Oh, white people, we're gonna have to watch out for violence, aren't we? <laughs> Fun times we live in." Okay, I remembered another thing that I was gonna bring up. So there was uh a character that was apparently supposed to be in the show, like in the Broadway play named Mrs. Johnson. She was a neighbor of theirs. She would be making jokes as a comic relief, like, Oh, I'm going to read that you're going to be dead in a bombing in a month when you move in there and stuff like that. She was a character that you would have moments of comic relief she was kind of there for Hansberry to sort of poke fun at folks who don't want to stand up for their own rights. But she's also there to remind the audience that there is a real danger. But she was taken out for the Broadway version. And I'd almost be interested to see if there's a draft or anything that exists that has her in it you know and that's a good point we don't we only see one neighbor in this movie and it's when walter is going to the bathroom because he cuts off that other neighbor to get to the bathroom Mm -hmm. first and he looks like he's hispanic i think yeah Um, it just me you know looking at him and going oh i think he's hispanic anyway doesn't matter um so we only see the one neighbor but i think that what you're talking about would have been good to have having Mm -hmm. his neighbor pop in because it would have been a genuine reminder that when Black people are able to move to these quote-unquote nicer neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. They're often the subject of violence mm-hmm. and for no reason other than that they're black and that yep. racists don't want them around there. Yep. And God, what was the comment that, oh yeah, and, and it was after uh, uh, Piglet leaves, um, uh, Ruth has this comment of like, oh no, 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 Benny's like, God, what do they think we're going to do? Eat them? And mm-hmm. Ruth goes, no, worse, marry them. Because mm-hmm. they're worried about... The, the evils of misogyny. Ugh. Gosh. <laughs> Today, kids, we'll talk about the dangers of race mixing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I have to laugh to keep from cursing. Uh, it just reminds me of when I first moved here and people were like, fine until they found out I wasn't adopted. Yeah, that your mom, that you're your mom's biological child. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh... You're mm-hmm. interracial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> mm. Let's move on. Uh, Mama Lena is wrapping up her raggedy plant and her daughter is like, ew, why do you want to take that old, that gross 
old, useless, disgusting, barely alive plant with us. <laughs> and Mama Lena stares coldly into Benny's eyes and says, it expresses me. Yes. I love I love Lena. Or not Lena. Uh, Benny just talking trash about this plant. And this is the plant that Kay had mentioned earlier in the earlier scene. Talk, oh, this plant hasn't seen any sunlight. Because like where they live, they're like sandwiched between other buildings. Yeah. So even though they have a window, it's showing a brick wall. Mm-hmm. So this plant is not getting any light. Yep. And uh, and I just love that comment that just, ew, like you're taking that thing? Mm-hmm. Why? So gross and just it expresses me. I love that line. <laughs> the moment is cut short by a doorbell ring and everyone panicking that the movers are early and things are not un- and things are still unboxed. Hurry, everyone, hurry. Everyone scrambles and Walter answers the door. It's Bobo, mm-hmm. who I have not mentioned by name until now. <laughs> He's one of Walter's business partners for the liquor store. Turns out he is here with some bad news. He was supposed to go with Willie, the other partner I didn't mention until now, downtown (laughs) to bribe people so that they don't have to wait for their liquor license because bribery and government. (laughs) A tale as old as time. Anyways. Song as old as crime. (laughs) (laughs) Bribery is bad. (laughs) Bobo waited at the train station for six hours and Willie didn't show up. Nor could Bobo reach Willie who has just disappeared with all the money. Walter. 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 Yep. How to describe Walter in this moment? Yep. Walter dies inside, mm-hmm. his heart peeling itself like an orange inside his chest. Walter says he's going to find Willie, and uh, he turns around to, see, to be confronted with his mother's glare. She asks coldly, calmly, but deadly. Is it all gone, son? Even beneath us? And Walter doubles down on his dying inside and falls to his knees and hangs his head, saying that he never even went to the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that whole moment in the bar with mm-hmm. with Lena telling her son, you're gonna take this money, you're gonna put half of it for your sister, you're gonna take this 3500 you're gonna take it for you and and it's gonna be mm-hmm. your money that you choose what to deal with and you're gonna be the man of the house you're gonna lead this family and then he turns around and betrays that trust it is such a mm-hmm. hard scene yes and uh, you are you gonna read it i've got okay. her let me let me read my note and then mm-hmm. you can give us the 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 glorious of it mm-hmm. mama lena gives a heart pulverizing monologue about watching her husband come home every day look at the rug look at her she'd see the red in his eyes the veins in his head he was old and thin before he was 40 he worked himself to death like someone's animal and you gave it all away in one day mama lena then asks god to look down and give her strength and she struggles with the urge to strike her son mama lena is stopped by ruth's cry of protest walter Broken, reverted to a little boy on his knees, grabbing at his mother's apron strings as he pulls her down and sobs into her bosom. Mm-hmm. It is just reading my note. That scene get, it chills. Like it is. Yeah. There is so much emotion packed into that scene, mm-hmm. and it's so well executed and acted and everything. It yeah. is just intense. Yeah, and. <gasps> 
the in the script even so after walter says yes all of it it's all gone there is total silence ruth stands with her face covered with her hands Benita leans forlornly against a ball fingering a piece of red ribbon from the mother's gift mama stops and looks at her son without recognition and then quite without thinking about it starts to beat him senselessly in the face Benita goes to them and stops it. This is in the stage play. Mama! Mama stops and looks at both of her children and then rises slowly and wanders vaguely, aimlessly away from them. I seen him. Night after night. Come in and look at that rug and then look at me. The red showing in his eyes, the veins moving in his head. I seen him grow thin and old before he was forty. Working and working and working like somebody's old horse. Killing himself. And you. You give it all away in a day. Oh, God, look down on here and show me the strength. And she just repeats strength as Benita is pleading, Mama, Mama, like trying to stop her from just wailing on her. Yeah, it is, it is one of the best scenes in any play in my personal opinion i think that this play needs to be taught in schools required in theater class because even just reading the play i put it alongside shakespeare it's it's an emotional it's an emotional show yes and you have that in the same play same play as that light-hearted scene with Benita doing the African mm-hmm. dance. And those uh, are the same show. Walter giving that tribal speech. Yes. You know, uh, uh, stirring the troops and stuff. Yeah, just in the same show. These are two different emotions, two different... You know what's really interesting is that the vast majority of the show takes place within that apartment. We get mm-hmm. very few scenes outside of it. Yes. Um, but the depth, it's one of those, like, going just off of, like, scenes and everything, you could say that it's shallow on the surface, mm-hmm. but it is as deep as an ocean. It is, yes. It is Mariana Trench deep. Yes. With every single thing that it tackles and how it just runs the entire spectrum of human emotion and mm-hmm. experience and pain and yes. joy like yes. it is huh, okay this show <clears throat> is amazing on to the next scene which would be the last scene in the play oh really like it's it's all in so the way that she breaks up the scenes is just basically by location or time so this last bit 
You know, that makes sense, mm-hmm. because a lot of the stuff that we would see, I kind of would get a little confused with the passage of time, mm-hmm. because, you know, like we talked about Walter seeing Walter at work, and it just goes to show that there's been a passage of time, because then yeah. it's, it's, you know, the women coming home from their day, mm-hmm. and it's it, but it only was, you know, a minute, and there's lots of... Mo- yeah. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell what time of day it is mm-hmm. um, in this show, just... And with... they were using those as <clears throat> establishing shots, rather than... You would have like a fade in or a fade out. Someone would rearrange something on the stage, things like that. And so it's <sighs> Lorraine Hansberry. You were so brilliant. She really you was. You were so brilliant. Fantastic writer. Oh and my gosh. Could deliver a a compelling story with heart and mm-hmm. depth and mm-hmm. hardship, but also triumph. And yeah. Just, okay. Okay, so <sighs> this I get what you're saying, but this is the last scene because mm-hmm. a lot happens in this last scene. Yes. Uh, so the next scene, Benny is sitting at a table thinking about how to kill her brother when a knock on mm-hmm. the door brings Asagai, who is here to try and explain that the money her mother lost was not Benny's to begin with and that she can't base her expectations of the future on something that only existed because a man happened to die. Mm-hmm. He then tries to convince her to come home with him to Nigeria and embrace her lost heritage and forget her old life in America. Benny rolls a natural 20 charisma check and is able to resist <laughs> this suave master mesmer. She says that she's confused and needs to sit and think, and Asagai leaves. So I do want to talk... Asagai is an interesting character. Yes. Because he... he... You know, she's not around to ask anymore because I would be mm-hmm. curious to know if there are any archetypes that she followed with some of her storytelling. Yeah. Because Asagai is this, he's this young, well, we don't know how old he is and black don't crack. So he could be, <laughs> he could be freaking 50 for all we know. But I want to say because he met um, um, Benny at, college so i want to say that he's probably in his 20s yeah um he is a very wise man he's also very pragmatic and Mm -hmm. he's a bit selfish but i i kind of don't i don't have any issues with that aspect because of the 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 pillaging of africa that has happened i'm kind of like you know there's a lot that you can get away with in my opinion because of what's (laughs) been done um but he very much kind of he he I kind of feel like that some of his kindness is is only a way for him to get what he wants mm-hmm. to an extent because he comes to, you know, when he shows up at the house, uh, he's he sees the moving crates and he's like, ah, yes, I love seeing people moving, progress, momentum, you know, moving forward. Mm-hmm. He's a very positive guy in that regards. And then Benny tells him about how her brother just gave the money away, lost all mm-hmm. the money. Her whole life is ruined. That money was going to help her go to call, you know, pay for her yeah. medical school and stuff like that. And 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 Asagai tries to tell her, well, that money was never yours. So you can't make uh-huh. these plans about something that was never yours to begin with kind of thing. And he talks yeah. about the problem with Americans and, and stuff like that is how you're only thinking about what you don't have and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And... And, uh, uh, he, and he, you know, tells her to come with him to come home to, to Nigeria. And basically, I feel like it would have been one thing if you would have said, well, bring your whole family. Let's all go back to Nigeria. Yeah. But instead he was like, yeah, just, just you, just the one that I'm, have 
feelings mm. for, you know? Yeah. Kind of thing. I don't give a crap about the rest of your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he makes the comment to her that, you know, uh, show you our, our, my, our mountains and our stars. And with time, we'll pretend that you've only been away for a day kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, in that he wants to kind of erase her identity, her American identity, um, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of superimpose her, her traditional African identity with it. Um, and she kind of, you could see that she kind of likes that idea to an extent, mm-hmm. but at the same time, she's like, so much has happened. I'm confused. I need to sit and think. And then he's like, yes, and you know, there's nothing wrong with sitting and thinking. He's like, I will talk to you later. Kind yeah. Of thing. And he goes and he, yeah, he's an interesting character because I like him and I also don't like him mm-hmm. at, at, in the same same he's, breath. He's a he's an interesting one. He is an interesting guy. Like I respect the fact that he is he's intelligent, he's suave, he's wise, but he also got a very uh I'll get mine mm-hmm. and he does he has he has kind of a black and white perspective on certain things, yeah. you know, especially when he's talking about that you know men and women can't be friends and mm-hmm. well what else would men and women be together for? But uh, and I normally don't like doing symbolism in things, but I almost wonder if George and uh, and Asagai are are really just that—just two symbols of ideals that Benita is torn between. No, and I think you're right. That the, it, <clears throat> like normally I don't like doing that because I'm always like. Well, it's because whenever I write something, it's straightforward, even if it's weird. It's like, nope, that happens in this because <laughs> I, I have trouble with like, uh, I don't I don't know what it is about my brain, but I have trouble with, oh, find the illusions in this because I'm often like, well, a hat's just a hat sometimes. Sometimes it's not anything more than a hat. Well, and in this, I'm kind of like, no, I feel like this is, like, I feel like she, like Lorraine Hansberry made these two characters to symbolize that struggle. And they are the two extremes of where, like, she could go fully into, I'm going to get rid of my American identity. I'm going to just throw this all behind me. Or she could go into the, I'm going to get rid of that African identity just throw it all behind me and she's coming at the equilibrium a little bit no she is and that her character is about trying to find her identity yeah. trying to find her balance between her her african heritage mm-hmm. and her american blackness mm-hmm. and i think you're absolutely right with that that these two suitors represent both extremes you know yes. george doesn't care at all about africa and is mm-hmm. and where his his ancestors came from whereas asagai makes the and I want to talk about that too he makes the comment of this quote unquote new world kind of thing yes. he, he he very much has a uh, uh look down his nose at Americans at western civilization mm-hmm. kind of thing which I again don't blame him for yeah uh but it's it and same kind of thing he does that with with uh Benny as well like he kind yeah. of he looks down his nose at her when she is being American mm-hmm. kind of thing and there's a comment that she at one point she she I can't remember exactly what she says back to him, but she retorts after he says something and she's got fire in her and she and stuff. And and he grabs her Well, he grabs her face. I don't want to say grab. He touches her face gently, kind of cups her chin. He says there that look, he says, 
this is the, this is the you know I've I've waited to see the fruit that the new world has has bared kind of thing yeah and he's talking about and at that moment it's like he's he's talking about this woman who is removed from her heritage mm-hmm. um, uh, like a seed taken from its native soil planted in a new land and has become something different yeah you know it and it's a really interesting scene mm-hmm. and I, I like it and I like Asagai, but I also don't like Asagai. But anyway, <laughs> so after that whole scene happens, and I like that thing of the talk calling her, you know, the fruit of the new world. And then after he leaves, Walter comes out of the room with a wild look in his eye, sifting through boxes and bags, all mm-hmm. while uh, his sister Benny berates him about being the victim of a corrupt of corrupt capitalism. Walter finds the thing that he's looking for and rushes out. Mama Lena and Ruth come out from the back from the back room and Lena tells Ruth to call the movers back. And Ruth is like, no, we will be leaving this place. I will work nonstop forever to make this move happen. Mm -hmm. We all have to get out of here. And Mama Lena, through the power of old black mama who's lived through some rough times, (laughs) is able to bring Ruth back from the precipice of insanity and tells her that she needs to know when to cut her losses and when to hold on to what she's got. Mm -hmm. And so in that scene, the monologue that Benny has when she's just staring absolute loathing at her brother Mm -hmm. is amazing. And it it also kind of shows... The same thing you're talking about, the dynamic with Benny. Benny is the most deep character in this. Yes. And I wonder if Benny is a self-insert a bit for, for Hansberry. I'm I don't, not sure. You know, she also could be a bit of all the characters, because that's yeah. kind of how it is when you write. A, mm-hmm. Every character's a piece of you to an extent. But when Walter comes out of the room after Asagai leaves, he got a crazed look in his eye. He's sifting around, looking for mm-hmm. something. And Benny launches into this. And here we see the, the was it, the, like, the, the fruits of the new world world and she starts berating her brother about yeah. how how he's sacrificed everything and ruined all their lives and like how do you vision yourself brother to be you know to be at the to be a, a titan of capitalism yes. to be in a boardroom with all the rich bald men hanging on your every word as you announce the next plans for industry i've oh, got it yes yes <laughs> read it Kay. yes just look what the new world hath wrought just look. There he is, Monsieur le Petit Bourgeoisie No. Goodness. French. French! Monsieur le Petit Bourgeois Noir himself. There he is, symbol of a rising class, entrepreneur, titan of the system. And Walter's scrambling through. Did you dream of yachts on Lake Michigan, brother? Did you see yourself on that great day, sitting down at the conference table, surrounded by all the mighty bald-headed men in America, all halted, waiting, breathless, waiting for your pronouncements of industry, waiting for you, chairman of the board? I look at you. And I see the final triumph of stupidity in the world. It's a great monologue. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, ah, good job, Kay. Why, thanks. I did not do it nearly as well as Diana Sands. I mean, she she does it very quickly and angrily. She basically screams it at her brother when she does it. And 
it, it's it's a good scene, and it you get that flip where Asagai has kind of told her, you don't, you know, America is dumb, this westernness is dumb, come back to, to the motherland with me. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I need to sit, I'm confused. And she's kind of marinating with her thoughts. And then her brother comes out, and she's like, done thinking, now it's anger mode. Mm-hmm. And she basically, I kind of feel like a little bit, she's kind of leaning into the Asagai part yes. when she's berating her brother because she's seeing, you know, mm-hmm. what the the what the evils of 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 colonialism have done to her people kind of thing yes. by trying to incorporate them in the system and make them another cog in the mm-hmm. machine and, and stuff taking like that. you from your homeland and yeah, it's yeah. Whew, it's it's Benitha good. is awesome. I love Benita. Okay. But yeah, and then it's uh, the scene with Ruth and Lena here is very powerful because Ruth is like about to go mad. She's like, mm-hmm. no, like we have to, cause, because that's the thing is like, things look like they were going to be good. They got this mm-hmm. new house. Things with her husband are, are better. You know, there's love back between them. Yeah. You know, I think that she had decided to keep the baby because they were moving. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now she's like, you know, she, 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 she has seen a brighter future and mm-hmm. she can't be pulled back into yeah. the dismal present. She's like, no, I ha- like, like she's suffocating. I have mm-hmm. to get out of here. We have to get out of here. All of us have to get out of here. We can't stay. I will do whatever it takes. I will mm-hmm. wash all the sheets in America. I will work 20 hour shifts, seven days a week. She's like, I will do whatever it takes for us to not have to stay in this rat trap. Mm-hmm. And, that's when Mama Lena does, you know, like I said, the the power of old black woman who has been through some stuff, mm-hmm. you know, kind of telling her, no, you know, we will, we will get through this, we will make this. She talks about buying. I think it's it's a, a thing for the what's what the baby cage <laughs> called crib crib <laughs> crib baby cage. Really, what's the difference? I mean, if you put a lid on a cri- on a baby, on a, on a, uh, oh my <laughs> if you put gosh. a lid on a crib, it's a baby cage, you know? Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> but she's talking about, we'll get, we'll get that. We'll put it here. You know, we'll, we'll make this work kind of thing. And that's when she's telling Lena, you know, you got to know when to cut. And I can't remember the exact words she uses, but mm-hmm. it boils down to, you got to know when to cut your losses and yeah. when to hold hold on to what you have yeah and it's a really good moment like i this show is so good yeah so good yes it it still holds up now it Mm -hmm. is i can it's it is not only a classic it is so important like Mm -hmm. just ah okay okay so walter found the thing that he was looking for rushes out of the apartment. That's when Ruth and Lena have their their heart to heart, and it's at this moment Walter, Walter, <laughs> Walter re-enters the scene. The same desperate madness in his eyes. He explains that he called the man, the man who, the man, he man, the man, the piglet man. He told him <laughs> to come on over, and then he tells his family that they're going to do some business. Now, this is where I put in the note. Please let this show that has been in existence since 1961 end the way that I want it to. (laughs) Which it doesn't, and we're going to talk about that because it made me realize just how much 
privilege I had in my perception of the situation in dealing with this. Mm-hmm. So Walter says that they are in this world. Oh God, this, this whole last scene has so many great monologues mm-hmm. that I can't do justice with my notes. Walter says that in this world, there are only takers and the taken. And he tells his family as he tells his family, he tells his family that, yeah, the world sucks and people who take win and he wants to win. It doesn't matter if he has to debase himself in front of Mr. Piglet Piglet McSegregation and take his money. His family berates Walter and Mama Lee tells him that she feels like something inside her is dying by her son's words. Benny says that Walter isn't her brother anymore and that she hates him and Mama Lena gives her the he's your brother and you love him regardless. regardless. Even when he messes up, it's at his lowest that we need to love him the most. And I just noticed, I just now noticed, (laughs) Travis is not in the room yep. for any of the super heavy scenes. He got yelled at in an earlier scene for being gone from the apartment too long, being out in the world, being a kid. And uh, I can see why. If everyone in this house is fighting like this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be home either. Yeah. Anyways, that the point of that... The other thing is, though, is that whenever he's in the room, suddenly they change. Yeah. They and do change. If, if something serious is going on, they're like, they try, especially Mama mm-hmm. Lena tries to be like, we're not talking about this. Let's focus on Travis. Let's- yeah. And it's almost like Travis is that little reprieve from the tension. So they want him in there, but he can feel that tension. He, he can feel it. That's why he doesn't want to be home. <laughs> yeah. Like, and anybody, oh. anybody who's ever come from a troubled <sighs> home, no, like you mm-hmm. can, like, you can sense that tension. You don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if people aren't fighting, you feel it beneath you feel the surface. It. Oh. Uh, so, yes, but with, with Travis, anyways, that point, <laughs> the point of that was to say that Travis is here to tell everyone that Mr. Piglet has arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Piglet is very happy to hear from you people. Ugh. Walter tries to send Travis out of the room, but Mama Lena is like, no, Travis stays. And you explain to him, good, what you're doing. Walter then gives a very, very emotional but reserved speech about Mm. how the entire family are very plain people who have worked very hard to be able to move into that house. They are going to move into that house. Mm. They're not looking for trouble. They don't want his money. And they would like him to leave. And they talk about, like, we will be good neighbors, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's just he's and yeah. Mr. Piglet tries to appeal to Mama Lena because she's older and wiser. Surely she'll see the veiled threat and implications. Mama Lena is like, Walter is the man of the house and he says we're moving. Kids these days, lol. Am I right, Kay? (laughs) Am I right, Kay? Kids these days? I really don't know. Am I right? Help me out, Kay. I'm embarrassing myself with this bit, Kay. That was funnier last night when I wrote it. It's okay, baby. Moving on, Mr. Piglet is shown the door and he says, I hope you people know what you're doing. And the family laugh and wipe away tears as they grab boxes and direct the movers who have arrived to grab furniture. Mama Lena has her solo moment with her home, saying goodbye to every memory in every nook and cranny. (sighs) Walter brings her out of the apartment and down the stairs. Though she does come back for her plant. She just come back. I forgot. I love that little touch. Just that plant is going with her. So I want to talk about 
the scene with Walter because so Walter initially is going to take Piglet's money and because mm-hmm. he tells his family we'll have more money than we had to begin with yeah. because they want to pay us more to not move there mm-hmm. and when he tries to send Travis out of the room because because Mama Lena has this line she talks about earlier she goes I come from five generations of slaves and sharecroppers and we have never you know mm-hmm. we have never taken advantage of anybody or done this we have never you know debased ourselves you know to mm-hmm. to to this and Walter is now here the the fifth generation getting ready to get on his knees and take this man's money mm-hmm. and when Travis is forced to stay there because he's right next to Walter standing in front of of Mr. Piglet and Walter gets very like Sidney Poitier is yes. acting in this when I say it's very emotional but very very reserved it's because He's like holding back from breaking out in a complete sob. Like his yes. voice kind of breaks a bit. And he, as he's telling this man, he's like, he goes, he's like, we are plain people. He's like, I am a chauffeur. I've, I've been a chauffeur all of my life. My wife works in people's kitchens. So does my mother. My sister is going to be a doctor. And we are very proud of her kind of mm-hmm. thing. And he says, my son is going to be is the sixth generation kind of thing and and just i can't remember the whole spiel he does but it's Mm -hmm. so empowered and he has this thing like he 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 decides he's not going to take the money he's going to tell piglet to stuff it and it's because his son is there Mm -hmm. and 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 it's after that moment happens and walter leaves the room at one point um um mama lena and ruth i can't remember who says it first but they, someone says he found his manhood today. Yes, kind of thing. and that yes. that's where for Sydney Point, well for Walter, that the switch flipped, and he just yeah, mm-hmm. and he you could oh. see you could see it in his acting too that he was a different person. Yes. So, with my note when I said please let the show that's been in existence since 1961 end the way I want it to, I realized that came from a very uh ignorant and white privileged mindset because Mm -hmm. what i was hoping would happen is that they would sit down with mr piglet and exploit him for more money (laughs) i was thinking they would sit him down and try and squeeze as much money and be like how bad do you not want us to move there kind of thing like and have like and maybe get because he because he tells he tells his family at one point we're gonna put on a show for Mister mm. Piglet like kind of thing and so I thought that what they were gonna do is be the fear that he thinks that they are mm-hmm. to be like yeah we're gonna move into that neighborhood we're gonna be playing our our jungle drum records and we're gonna be <laughs> throwing parties we're gonna be the kind of thing we're gonna be disrupting this neighborhood so I thought that he was going to i thought that they were going to try and exploit him to then go back to the community and be like we have to raise more money to get them to not move here i liked the uh reference to (laughs) the letter that my mom and i received to your racist neighbor who (laughs) said you were playing jungle drums at all hours of the day when you weren't even home because you were redlining it between theater and And multiple theater shows (sighs) <sighs> yay racism yeah, yeah that's why i always say screw hoas so 
But that's what I thought was going to happen with the way Walter, because when he comes back into the room after calling Piglet, he's like, Mm -hmm. got that madness in his eyes, but he's also kind of calm. And he says, we're going to put, we're going to do business with him. I thought that they were going to kind of invert it and have it turn out that Walter was the hero of the thing by using his quote unquote business minded Mm -hmm. side to get more money out of piglet so that they could then turn around and get Uh a nicer house somewhere else Mm -hmm. that's what my brain was thinking and i realized that that was when i was talking about i realized how much of that was me being you know a middle class white guy Mm -hmm. looking at a show trying to put myself in the shoes Mm -hmm. of a 1960s black man Mm -hmm. who's who's struggling with this and realizing that, no, that wouldn't, that, that would not have worked. No, he would. If they would have done that, that probably would not have worked at all. Mm -mm. Uh, And at the same time. You were thinking, what would Warren have done in this situation? (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, but maybe, but at the same time, I realize now that even if they would have done my ending, if it would have worked out that way, that they would have come away being like, hey, we got $20,000 now. Let's go get a, a nicer mm-hmm. house somewhere else. Um, it would not have had the emotional impact of mm-hmm. Walter having that transformation in front of his son yeah. to someone who represents the the man, the establishment, mm-hmm. the authority, the oppressor. Yeah. And it was a good scene it's and that amazing. scene that scene needs needed to happen the way it did for mm-hmm. the show to have the same gravity if it would have had my colonizer ending <laughs> my exploitive ending it would not have been the same yeah i i don't know if she put it in the script at all what his idea would have been necessarily um but huh man i god i love i love this show so much and that that scene at the end i i was near tears with with his emotions emotion oh. and withholding his son yeah because Oh, the, man, you just you see the love that he has for his boy. He just kind of cups the back of his head and just kind of pulls him close, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of pats his head. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it, the show is so good. Sidney Poitier, what a mm-hmm. dynamite actor, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in the show, the you know, uh, Lena, Ruth, uh, Benita, Asagai, George. Meh. Uh, yeah, but they're <laughs> all just so good. It was I was so when we do the black history shows, I never know what to expect and I never know how to feel because yeah. you know how I am with racism. I get mm-hmm. so, so inflamed with racism mm-hmm. and I don't know how to process it because all it makes me do is want to take a bat to a racist. And it, and, and it's cause I, I, when I see these characters put through situations that I know happened and are based in fact in reality, mm-hmm. it makes my heart hurt, especially knowing that there's nothing that I can do for something that has already happened. Yeah. There's very little that I can do for what's happened now, mm-hmm. you know, and so it creates this sense of help, of, of rage and helplessness at the injustice. Yeah. So I have a hard time with these shows sometimes because of that, but then they have parts 
that are just so good and mm-hmm. so emotional and so impactful mm-hmm. that it's it's like it's 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 the give and take it's the two sides of the same coin you have to take the good with the bad because if you don't have these scenes that punch you right in the heart you won't get these ones that then make you feel good yeah and there's oh what i love is right after that emotional scene too though you have the family just suddenly going into okay regular family stuff because the movers are here and so Uh they're like well we're moving uh-huh. Like, hey, get that front. And the the mama being like, "Hey, that that chair is not a bale of hay. Like, you yeah. be careful with that. It's it's blasted whatever generations." And... Well, and I love too that you see for the first time actual love between Benita and Walter. That true because that is the first time you are right that you see you are that right. they are siblings. They like truly. There's no tension. There's no nothing. You know, I didn't even catch on that because I guess I I have a good relationship with my sister, mm-hmm. but there's also a 10-year difference between us, which yeah. I think maybe helped with that. I don't know. Um, so we never really fought as, as kids very much because, you know, I was 10 when she was born, so I was mm-hmm. changing her diapers and helping her stay alive. Uh, but I don't know what the age difference is between Benitha and Walter, but they snipe at each other like siblings do. Like I see mm-hmm. a lot with other people's siblings. And you are very right in that there's so much confrontation between the two of them for the whole show. It's not until Walter mans up to the man that his sister is kind of like, I'm proud of you. Yes. You know? Yes. And because and, there's the, always this undercurrent in the back and forth with Benita and Walter that's tension and then in that bit in between after Walter reveals that he just lost all of the money for the two kids um you have hate behind it instead of yeah. just uh instead of just the sibling stuff and then it goes to love by the end and it's just huh, the character arcs in this the the growth relationship arcs just Oh my goodness. Huh. Huh. It's good. I love Raisin in the Sun. I do too now. I'm so glad. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad. And I'm also glad that I, because Jeff from those guys over there said I should show you the P. Diddy version. But. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it a legit version? Yes, it is a legit a version. It is not a spoof. Audra McDonald's in it too. Hmm. And I mean. It's not I mean, terrible. It's not bad, but you gotta see the original yeah. cast when it's available. Oh, I mean, how do you compete with Sidney Poitier? Yeah, like I mean, so, really. We'll we'll watch the other. We'll watch the uh, P Diddy version later. But yeah, huh. So I I don't know if I have anything else to say about the show other than it was surprising. It was really good. Uh. I feel like everybody should see it. Everybody should watch it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's There's a reason that it is a classic, you know? It's, yeah. There's a reason that it... Huh. Yeah, It should wow. be taught in schools. I feel... Yes, I agree. It should be I part feel, of your theater curriculum. I feel a little... Uh, I feel a little emotionally drained talking about it, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know... And for, for different reasons than I did with, with like, um, um, Native Son Native Sun and other shows. Like, this show, this show 
affected me in a different way than other shows have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a musical. Um, and that, that, I guess that doesn't really matter. Art is art. Stories are stories. But it was just so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I am so glad that you liked it. So, are you ready for what we're doing next week? What are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be doing our first show in this series done by a living playwright. Oh, Yes. Um, this will be one from 1981. It's one that we'll still need for Colored Museum, because there's a scene that kind of, it's reminiscent of it. And, uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, I really wish that I could have gotten us something with the David Allen Greer version of this. We will be doing... A soldier's play. Yeah, so the only thing I know about a soldier's play is when we watched the Tonys and they talked about the revival version and how good that one was. So I am interested to know about soldier's play. Yes. Like, you'll talk about it next episode, of course, but it's about World War II, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's... Whew! It's gonna be emotional, but we'll get through it. You know what? I feel like, um it's due this show was so good if the next one is good but also makes me feel bad you know what it's the peaks and valleys of Mm -hmm. of of the life and uh i will face it head on (laughs) all right well then next week we will be doing a soldier's play so thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Tone Deaf. If you'd like to reach out to Kay and I, you can do so at our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. There we have links to all of our social medias, our our uh, Instagrams, our Facebooks, our Twitters, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, where we have our own Not Safe for Work channel, but it's actually pretty, pretty all right. Uh, so yeah. If you want to say hi to us, pop in, talk about theater, share pictures of your pets, or just talk about whatever. We're, yes. we're pretty chill people, and the people that hang out with us are pretty chill, too. Absolutely. If you want to help out the show, uh, please leave a review on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you can leave reviews. It really helps the show getting onto the charts and stuff. We recently charted in France on Apple Podcasts, which was really cool. <laughs> that was, that was really, awesome. That made me laugh because I've, I'm I, I, I'm sitting here going, okay, whoever's listening in France hasn't gotten to an episode where I complain about the French language. Yes. Either yes. that or they love it and they're going, oh, this silly American. Yes. <laughs> okay, Henri. The pigeon from American to anyway. Um, so if you want to go above and beyond to help us out, you can donate to our Patreon, uh, Tone Deaf Musical. It's linked on our website. You can also buy hoodies, masks, t-shirts, stickers on our T Public store, also linked on the aforementioned website, tonedeafmusical.com. Um, but again, thank you all so much for listening. That'll be it for this episode. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. All right. It is dinner time. Kay has been such a good girl, and Stephen wants attention. Yeah, and look at that. My cloth armor resisted the drool. Yay! No hives! No hives from Stephen the Slobber Monster. Yes, you cute orange.